So that's our sermon series we were looking at this month, Core Training. Big welcome to those who are watching online. It's great to have you part of our service uh, here. Um, This morning, I'm going to be talking on the subject, questioning faith. Questioning faith. Two weeks ago, I spoke on radical hospitality. Last week, Neil spoke on passionate worship. And this morning, uh, questioning faith. Faith, And these are things that I think are core to us as a church. And if we get these things right, if we're strong in these, then we will find that we can do so much more uh, as a church to build God's kingdom. See, the church has been a bit of a mess in the media recently. There have been numerous scandals. Recently, it's been, been Hillsong, that huge Australian international church, has had leaders stepping down for numerous reasons. But not, the church hasn't also always been in the uh, media because of moral decline, but also in some cases it's been key Christians, key church leaders who for whatever reason have left their faith. They've turned their back on church, they've turned their back on Christianity, they've turned their back on their faith and said, I don't believe it anymore. Examples would be Marty Sampson, who was a Hillsong worship leader and songwriter. We probably sing some of his songs on a Sunday morning. He decided to to stop and not believe anymore. Um, Slightly more well-known is a guy called Joshua Harris. If you were um, in your 20s or teens, late 90s, early noughties, and you were in the church, you would remember his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And uh, he was a hugely massive, influential uh, book. He became a megachurch pastor in the States, and he has lost and left his faith as well. And really the question I want us to think about this morning is how do we respond to doubts? How do we respond to people who say, I'm not sure I believe this anymore? How do we respond if we are saying, I'm not sure if I believe this anymore? And by the end of this, I want to give us some practical ways in which we can start to not only work out our own faith, but also create a culture and environment where people are encouraged to question their faith. Because I believe that questioning the things we believe in is not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of Christian maturity. So that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. Now the term that's probably being coined to describe this is called deconstruction. I don't know if you've heard of this or read articles about this. It's about deconstructing your faith. And really, if I could describe what it is, it kind of takes up maybe three different things, three different, three different thrusts. One, it could be identifying within the church harmful practices and cultures that are maybe a distortion of what Jesus originally wanted for the church. This is what a guy called Paul Tripp says on a podcast. There's a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. For those of you who don't know, Mars Hill was a hugely successful, massive megachurch in America led by a guy called Mark Driscoll, and it, all, and it just collapsed. It went completely wrong. The whole church just disappeared. And then you can go on a podcast and listen to why that was. It's very interesting, but unless you're a pastor, it's probably a little bit too long uh, for you guys to uh, listen to. But this is what one guy says in the program. He says, we should all be deconstructing our faith. 
we better do it because our faith becomes a culture. A culture so webbed into the purity of truth that it's hard to separate the two. And we better do some deconstructing or we're going to find ourselves again and again in these sad places, referring to the mess that was Mars Hill. So some of it is identifying harmful, pra harmful practices or, cult or cultures that are a distortion. Deconstruction could be questioning traditional doctrines around women in leadership, sexuality, all sorts of different things. This is what um, Jarmin Hubner writes in Deconstructing Evangelicalism. Deconstruction simply refers to the process of questioning one's own beliefs that were once considered unquestionable due to new experiences, reading widely, engaging in conversation with the other, and interacting in a world that is now more connected and exposed to religious diversity than ever before. And then thirdly, it could be you just have lost your faith. You just look at what you once believed and you think to yourself, I don't believe this anymore. That's deconstruction. Now, I want to say I think deconstruction is healthy, but unfortunately, too often, deconstruction can lead to destruction. And that's not healthy. If someone's walked away from their faith, if they've lost it completely, they've basically just blown up. That is not healthy. Deconstruction is, destruction is not. We need to try and work out um, the balance there. But I think probably a common response to those who are questioning our faith, and maybe it's a response to ourselves as well, and this is something that really resonates with me, is that don't pull that thread. Perhaps you know, you're a kid and you've got a little loose bit on your jumper, and you go and pull it, and your mum goes, don't, don't touch that, because you can imagine you pull it, and the whole jumper starts to unravel. And what was the small hole becomes bigger and bigger. And your mum says, no, I'll sort that out. Take it off, and you quickly tuck it in and sew it out. Don't pull that thread. Some people say, don't go to Bible college. We've got two Bible college lecturers here. Because they will make you just forget and lose your faith. And in that, some respects, that's what Bible college does. They said in my first year, they would take your faith apart and then allow you to put it back together again. But unfortunately, some people, when they take their faith apart, can't seem to get it back together again. So some people said, don't go to Bible college. It's not worth the risk. I thought it was great, by the way. Don't pull on that thread. And there is some truth to that danger. This is what um, Bart Campolo says. Some of you may have heard of his very famous dad called Tony Campolo. And his son said this, once you start adjusting your theology to match up to the reality you see in front of you, it's an infinite progression. So over the course of the next 30 years, my ability to believe in a supernatural narrative or a God who intervenes and does anything died a death of a thousand unanswered prayers. This guy who had been exposed to so much Christianity, so much faith, so much church, once he started pulling that thread, for him, it unraveled completely. Don't pull on the loose thread. See, unfortunately, if we have that mentality, if we're scared of what happens if I start to explore my faith more, if I start to question those things that 
that are seem so secure, if we have that mentality, then what we end up doing is forming a defensive position. Where I go, okay, I'm a bit scared of losing my faith, therefore I'm going to defend my faith. I'm going to defend those key things that I believe in, and I'm going to protect it from anyone who might question what I believe in. And what we end up is, is camps on extremes. We have one end saying, no, this is what I believe, and this is what I think is, is, is important that we don't question. And then you have over this side another group of people who say, well, no, I don't believe what that is. And you start chucking bombs at each other, trying to blow up each other's idea. You get really stuck down and say, no, I am true. No, I am true. No, I am right. No, I am right. And you end up with people at extremes never listening to one another in fear of what they might say and the change they might bring in your life. I believe, and I'll pick that up uh, at the end, that actually things happen and people grow and relationships are formed and churches flourish in the middle ground. In the ground, the area where we take those two extremes and we listen to one another. We engage in conversation. I'll pick that up. Uh, towards uh, the end. We're going to look at a passage. If you haven't got a Bible, you want to pick up one, you feel free to get up and get one just at the back, or you might have it on your phone, or you've got an actual Bible that is yours. And I'm going to turn to John uh, chapter 20. We were looking at the uh, Gospel of John uh, during Lent, and um, we never got to the end. Well, we got to the end of the series, but we didn't get to the end of the, uh, uh, the Gospel of John, although we did pick this up in Thursday group. We finished off uh, John. And um, this is, um, just to set this in context, passage we're going to look at, Jesus had died on the cross, and then people started to see Jesus. First of all, it was some women, uh, then it was some disciples, but one guy got left out. All these people say, it's great, Jesus is alive, we've seen them, but this guy called Thomas, who's one of Jesus' 12 disciples, didn't see Jesus. Now, before we read that passage, I'm just going to plot through um, in John's Gospel just a couple of times when we hear of uh, John, uh, uh, not John, uh, Thomas. Um, first one is, we talked about the death of Lazarus. Um, Deborah, was it you that spoke about Lazarus? No, you were, you were feeding 5,000. No, who was? I can't remember. It was... Thank you. It was our other university lecturer, Joshua, at the back, spoke about feeding the, uh, the death of Lazarus. Um, and Jesus didn't turn up for ages. And Jesus decides, in chapter 11, we're told um, that he decides to go there, and his, his followers warn him and said, look, some people are going to stone you. Let's not go there. Is, is it worth the risk heading towards Jerusalem? Because you're going to get yourself in trouble, and you're going to get us all killed. And interestingly, Thomas... In verse 16 of chapter 11, after Jesus has made the decision, says, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which is twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also go that we may die with him. Let us also go so that we might die with him. This is a guy who's so secure in his faith, he's following Jesus, this guy that he loves and believes is the Messiah, or at least someone incredibly important, he said, okay, I'm willing to die with this guy. I'd rather die with him than stay here and live. 
So it gives you some idea about who this guy was and what he was willing to do. In chapter 14 of John's Gospel, so a few pages uh, later, we have Jesus uh, after a really difficult time when everything's going a little bit wrong in Jerusalem. It's obvious that the crowds are not on Jesus' side, or at least the authorities are on Jesus' side, should I say, and that death may be imminent. And Jesus actually says to the disciples, look, I'm going to die. It's, they're really upset. And Thomas is the one who says to them in verse 5, when Jesus says to them, don't worry, don't fear, I will, I'm going to somewhere and I will come back and get you. And Thomas replies, says, but Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus famously says, famously says no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas here is voicing the doubts and the questions and the fears of all the disciples. I don't understand. This is not looking right. This is not looking good. Yes, I'm willing to die for you, but I need some answers to the questions that I'm asking. And then we get to the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, where Thomas um, says um, to the 12 in verse 20, he says this, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, just so we don't get confused with anyone else, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord! But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And, through, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hand. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We have this journey of Thomas being willing to die but having questions and doubts, not understanding what was going on. He wouldn't believe the other disciples who had seen Jesus and said he's alive. He says, well, not until I see him will I believe. And then you have this statement from Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. You have Thomas who was doubtful, fearful, unsure, meeting with Jesus and declaiming that not only are you my Lord, but you are my God as well. He saw the truth and he believed. We'll come back to that uh, in a moment. But I just want to pick up another story and it, of, of Jesus encountering a guy who was struggling with belief. And it's found in Mark chapter 9. And I'm just going to read um, verse 24 uh, in a moment. And it's a guy whose son was suffering from seizures. So he brings them to the disciples to, to heal his son. Because he was getting pretty dangerous. There was times when he almost died from his seizures, throwing him to fires and stuff like that. So he goes to the disciples out of desperation. And the disciples are unable to heal this boy. They're unable to do anything. 
So Jesus comes along and he sees this scene and he says, what are you arguing about? And this guy says to Jesus, look, if you can, heal my son. I'm just going to read to you what, uh, how Jesus responded. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, and I love this. This is something that really resonates with me. Maybe it does with you. He says these words, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. Yeah, I, yeah, I do, but I don't. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm really hopeful. I'm expectant, but I'm a little bit reserved, and I don't want to be disappointed. You know, hedging his bets a little bit. A little bit like Thomas. How does Jesus respond to this? When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the son is healed. See, in both these situations, the experiences of doubt, of unbelief, how does Jesus respond? For Thomas, does he say, say to the other disciples, well, stuff him. Just say to him, well, you've had your chance. You know, you, it's better for you to believe and not see than see and believe. So, sorry, I'm not going to turn up. No, Jesus meets with Thomas and gives him exactly what he needs to help him overcome his doubts. How does Jesus respond to the man who says, I do believe, forgive my unbelief, how does he respond? He says, well, I'm afraid until your faith is strong enough, until you really believe 100%, I am not going to heal your son. No. Jesus takes that small bit of belief, works with it, and brings the guy exactly what he needs. See, the truth is, when it comes to doubts, when it comes to questions, when it comes to our faith, we are not saved by the strength of our faith. We are not saved by the fact we 100% believe in Jesus and in God and what the Bible says. That is not what saves us. We are saved by who our faith is in, and that is Jesus. See, Tim Keller, who's an author and a, um, a pastor in New York, uh, talks about, you know, if you're falling off a cliff, and you're about to fall, and you see a, a root hanging out, and you grab the roots, and you hold on to it tight, and it saves you, is it your faith in the roots that's going to hold your weight? Is that what saves you? No, you're just grabbing out for whatever might happen to hold you. It's the strength of the root that saves you, not your belief that it will. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus is the one that saves you. And for some of you, you are just clinging on in the vain hope that Jesus, you are real, and Jesus, you will save me, because I am not sure, but I want to believe. I want to have a stronger faith. And Jesus doesn't respond saying to you, well, I'm only going to do things in your life if you're 100% with me. Now he responds. And actually, it's through that response that our faith gets stronger. But our salvation is not dependent on it. So 
So where do we go with all this? We just want to get a little bit practical as we draw to a close uh, now. I love on TV those programs where they go around looking at different houses or those DIY programs and trying to get people who want to you know, renovate their house or find somewhere nice to live in the countryside or something like that. And one of my favorite programs, and put your hands up if you've watched it, is Phil and Kirsty's Love It or List It. Yeah, got a few people. For those of you who haven't seen it, the premise of the program is Kirsty and Phil are housing experts. Um, and uh, you get a couple or a family who come to Kirsty and Phil saying, we have this house and it no longer meets our needs. And one side of the couple says, well, I love this house. I've always loved this house. This is the house I bought when I was a bachelor. And now I've got 10 kids. Um, and maybe I've outgrown it a little bit, but I love it so much I don't want to leave it. So Kirsty says, well, okay, let's look at your house. Let's look at the plans and try and spend some money to make it suitable for where you are at now. Whereas Phil says, and it's usually the other partner, who says, well, no, I've had enough of this house. I hate it. It's not good enough for what we want. I just want to chuck it all in and I want to go and buy a new house. And Phil takes them around and says, this is what you could have with your money. So in the program, they do both. They do the changes, and they also look at the houses. At the end, they say, will you love it or list it? Interestingly, most of the time, I, at least when I watch it, they decide that actually we do love our house now. It wasn't suitable before. It was tired and worn out, and it didn't meet our needs. But now, now we've made these changes, actually we really love it. See, we need to be the same with our faith. Because the faith you had as a child is not going to sustain you into adulthood. Because the experiences that you have, the conversations, the people you meet, particularly for some people, that might be when they go to university and suddenly they're exposed to, at least it was for me, a different culture, a different way of thinking. And suddenly the things that you were told were true growing up in Sunday school suddenly don't seem to fit with what other people are telling you. Suddenly your echo chamber has expanded and people with different ideas and different views are talking to you. And you need to be able to change and question what you believe in response to that. You need to be like Kirsty, looking at what you have and making some alterations, knocking down some walls to adjust for the realities that you see around you, the people that you meet, that maybe question what it is you believe. It doesn't mean you have to change your mind about certain things, but if you fail to question these things, then are you actually really secure in what you believe, and are you actually mature in your faith? Now, some people say, well, you need childlike faith. You need a childlike faith, and that is true. There's something about you know, children and their willingness to believe that we could all benefit from. But what do children do all the time, apart from being naughty? <laughs> they ask questions. Children grow and they learn by asking questions. Now, my youngest, Joel, who's four, has moved out of the why stage, but he is always asking questions. You know, who's that? What are you doing? Why, why are you doing that? He's constantly asking questions because that is how they learn. And we expect that. We want our kids to be curious about the world around them. We want them to explore. We want them to ask questions. 
And if you have got to the stage where you have grown out of that curiosity, if you are too fearful to ask questions about the things that you, you need for security, then maybe your security and your foundation is in the wrong place. It's not on your faith, it's in Jesus. We need to create a culture where it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to explore. We need to create a culture where we want to listen to one another. The series that we had on, on sex a couple of months ago was a really good example of that. Of actually, let's listen to one another. Let's not, let's, got in our, let's not get in our defensive positions. But actually, let's meet in the middle ground and really start to explore these things together. That is where the magic happens. At least that's where the Holy Spirit comes and brings change and moves us forwards. I just want to recommend to you three, uh, as I draw to an end, three podcasts. I listen to podcasts, I listen to them while I'm walking the dog. If you don't know what a podcast is, basically it's like a radio show where you listen to people talking. Okay, that's basically what a podcast is. And here are three that might be of interest to you. So if you have a pen and paper or on your phone, write them down. One of them is radios, unbelievable. Premier Radio It's been going for a number of years. They take, uh, say, an atheist and a Christian scientist or thinker or philosopher, and they ask them questions like, you know, did Jesus re- um, rise from the dead? You know, that sort of thing. Now, a warning with that, sometimes the atheist person is a better, um, is more persuasive than the Christian one. So you might come out of it going, oh my goodness me. Shouldn't be fearful of that. It's about exploring things. If you get a question, explore it. I find just if you're not if you're reading the Bible and you're just like it's not raising any questions, you need to think what why is that? Because the Bible should raise loads of questions. Why is it like that? Well, maybe I need to explore that a bit deeper. Another one is one I've just started uh, listening to. I mentioned Tim Keller uh, earlier. It's a podcast that's just been released of a series of talks called Questioning Christianity. Um, and that's going to really help strengthen your faith. It's not, gonna be, it's not a dis, uh, debate. It's just Tim Keller giving some really useful foundational understandings about what the world believes and what we believe. And then there's another one by a couple of pastors called Mid-Faith Crisis. Mid-Faith Crisis. So those are three podcasts uh, that you might want to look at. But I just want to end with this. Explore ask questions, listen to the answers, and then critique the answers you are given and the things that you believe. And I sincerely believe that will strengthen significantly and your faith that you have and also enable us to engage with others and maybe help them to have a faith in Jesus too. We're going to listen to, um, we're going to have some questions now, just to give you some time uh, to respond. Have you had a faith crisis? What was it about? How did it resolve itself? 
Does the idea of questioning your faith scare you or excite you? Why? Are you willing to live in the middle ground, listening to other people's point of view and being open to change?